Oh, I wonder how you're doing in your noble spiritual pursuit in your adventure of consciousness in your summer holiday (laughs) I wonder how you might in different moments how you might frame this practice to yourself And the way those different few descriptions I just gave might give different flavor or taste to one's time. I remember, you know, the different ways I would frame my practice. When I, you know, certainly when I first began, when I was doing first few years doing a lot of um, kind of quite intensive retreat practice weeks and sometimes months at a time and sometimes it felt like a noble spiritual practice or an adventure in consciousness sometimes it just felt like a slog (laughs) a slog I have no idea what that is in French (laughs) Uh, uh, une bataille on va dire une lutte Comme pédaler dans la confiture. Une corvée. Okay. I've been hearing from some of you today, hearing about various um, insights and openings and expansions, hearing about ways of contacting experience that seem new, newly free, newly open, newly insightful. Ways of contacting life, well, life itself, same old stuff, right? Seeing, hearing, feeling, breathing, moving. But through the intimacy with it, through the interest in it, through the willingness to be here with it, something coming alive, something freeing up. And then noticing that some of our old ways, more limited ways, more tense ways, more constricted ways of seeing and feeling and understanding, opening or relaxing, dropping away. And I've also been hearing from others of you who might hear that last description and think that sounds very nice. Others of you caught in some kind of difficulty, some intensity, caught in some painful memory and the hurtful or saddening effects of that memory. Or caught in some all too familiar habit pattern that one maybe knows the habit, one knows where it comes from, and yet in this moment, somehow the habit won't yet yield to awareness. Or we might say, in this moment, we can see the habit, but we can't yet see 
what it is I'm doing to the habit that's keeping it going. I can't yet see the way I'm holding the habit which is continuing to kind of fuel it or reinforce it. And then sometimes there's other kinds of layers of, or types of experience playing out and we don't even see that there is a habit. Maybe that we just in some moments just identified with a particular reaction or identified with a particular view, identified with one or other of those top five mind states that we spoke about the other day. And of course we prefer the insights and the openings and the expansions. Maybe, I can uh, again relate to this early on in my practice, but I would sort of judge the efficacy of a retreat by how many insights I had <laughs> or, or how good the insights were. And then we say, oh, that was a, that was a good retreat. And sometimes we do that just sitting by sitting. And people will come and say, oh, I, I had a really good sitting. And then I had a really bad sitting. And I get it, right? I know. We, what we really mean is I had a pleasant sitting and an unpleasant sitting. Right? When we say I had a good sitting, we mean, oh, you, you know, there's a certain ease or a certain relaxation or a certain fluidity, which felt good. And then when we say, oh, I had a bad sitting... You know, it means I was um, restless or distracted or tired or dull or just fed up or something. And then I tell myself afterwards that that means something about my practice called bad. Meditation is bad or my meditation is bad or my mind is bad. And then easily that leads to some discouragement, etc. And yet those of us with a certain longevity of practice, we start to see that that's not really what's happening. That, that through the, what we call the good and bad meditations, or the good and bad retreats, what, we, what happens through the, the pleasant or insightful or obviously um, enriching meditations and equally through sitting with the stuff that we haven't yet seen clearly or that we haven't yet got a handle on through all of that process something is getting worked on something is getting developed and it's really a great freedom actually it's a great relief in our practice when we stop being dependent on having a particular kind of experience. Called, you know, an insight or feeling peaceful or something. Great freedom when we start to see that actually the best experience we could possibly have is this one. Because this is the only one we've got. Right? This one. You don't need a different one. Another one. 
You can't get another one. Where are you going to go to get another experience? Right? Wherever you go, oh, like John Kabat-Zinn says in his lovely book title, wherever you go, there you are. The basics of experience are always the same. Consciousness is here and experience is happening. That's enough. The whole of practice happens there. In this kind of interface between the, the, this mysterious fact of being conscious and this mysterious display of experience. And and practice, not just dharma, not just meditation practice, but dharma practice, really then is most predominantly the moment to moment to moment engagement with what we call consciousness, knowing, and what we call experience, what's known, and the meeting and exploring and allowing of that experience. The meeting and exploring and the allowing of experience. And I often speak about practice in those terms, like meeting, exploring, allowing what's happening. And just recently I realized, oh yeah, that's there's Pali, a particular kind of Pali term. Pali is the language the Buddha spoke for those three aspects: meeting, exploring, allowing. In Pali, they're called vitaka, vichara, viveka. And I thought it might be helpful just to 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 look at you know to open that subject up a little bit. The way awareness can meet and explore and allow experience. Vitaka, maybe I'll say a little bit about the three of them. Fabrice and I were talking about this earlier. So there's a few different images we could use. If we use the image of... Vitaka is like the finger pointing to experience, right? Meeting or noticing what's happening. Oh. So we come to an area of experience and we, we meet it. We notice it. Oh, breath. Not the idea of it, not the image of it, but the, the, the actual kind of the direct experience. So not the thought of the breath, not the idea of the breath, but oh, the, the felt sense of breath coming in, the felt sense of breath going out. If vitaka is the, the, the attention that points to what's happening, then vichara, I mentioned this yesterday, is like the palm of the hand. And, oh, feeling, feeling into finding out about, becoming familiar with the texture of that experience. That's where we actually learn about 
That's the exploring. Again, if we just take breath as an example, we start to learn about, you know, so much of the nature of experience is being expressed just in a breath. The enlivening effect of the in-breath. The relaxing effect of the out-breath. The fact that no two breaths are the same. It took me a few years of practice to really, really understand that no two breaths are the same. There was some, uh, some hope in some way, some subtle hope, or maybe not so subtle at the beginning, but maybe then more subtle, some hope that I could somehow could just lock on with my attention to the breath. And then that would be good enough. And then I could sit there and 40 minutes or 50 minutes would pass until the bell rang and I'd just be with the breath. As if that was possible. Because like we said the other day, the breath turns out not to be a thing, not to be very tangible. It's process rather than thing. So, on the one hand, pointing to, pointing to, with Vitaka. And even to really re- realize that attention can do that, that we can direct our attention. Actually, our attention is being directed all the time. Right? But usually it's being directed unconsciously. It's being directed by whatever stimulates us enough. And the more strongly something stimulates us, the more it pulls at our attention. If you see something very interesting, oh, pulls your attention. If you see something very frightening, pulls your attention. If you see something very ordinary, doesn't pull your attention. come in here wearing the same old grey and black clothes every day not very interesting if I come in tomorrow wearing a pink and green flowery shirt you'll notice Vitaka will point there maybe I'll try it and you just can get a sense so Vitaka is operating all the time, right? The, 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 the way attention points at what's happening. And so that's, it's, a compl- it's a natural capacity of mind. And it can be trained, right? It can be trained to point at what's useful to point to. It can be p- point at experience so as to meet it. Notice it. That's, that's really the, what's most often being pointed to in, uh, in the language of mindfulness. Right? Our capacity to um, notice what's happening. But vitaka on its own isn't enough. And sometimes that's uh, one of the problems we encounter in meditation, we're expecting that we just point our attention and then then we point it back. Sometimes we point every breath. 
So I got a point in. Oh yes, in breath. So what? And then I point again in the out breath. Yeah, out breath. But it's not enough. So a bit of vitaka, just enough to know that I'm breathing in. And then once I know it, I'll just think about this and that till the end of the in breath. And then, oh, yeah, out breath. Point to that and then a bit more rumination. Some of you, the the light of recognition is (laughs) dawning on your faces. So, if the vitaka is the um, noticing, the attention that notices, then vichara has the, the sense of a kind of sustaining attention. In this, in this image I'm using of the hand, right? if vitaka is pointing, vichara is, oh, it's kind of, it's feeling, it's handling. Handling. We were talking about this before, trying to find uh, terms and translations. And I, in English, I really like this, this to handle. To handle. You know, if you handle something, right? oh. you get to explore it. It's a, it's a kind of non-conceptual exploring. If you just take, take something in your hand, maybe a bit of your clothing or a shawl or your cushion, and just handle it. Right. Feel the texture of it. What, see what you notice about it. Maybe you maybe notice something about the temperature, or the weight, or the feel. And in that handling, in that exploring, there's a certain intimacy with that which is being handled. And that's that's. That's a pretty good image for meditation, especially because we're used to giving an attention that's conceptual. So when we talk about exploring or investigating, we easily end up just thinking about it. So again, if we we use just the breath as a simple example, we say explore the breath. We We don't know what to do except think about it. And people will often ask, how do I investigate? So, with vichara, in other words, by handling, handling. And we can, we can point, right, vitaka, to whatever seems worthy of our attention. If we're not sure what needs attention, well, at least in formal meditation, breath and body. If we're not sure what needs attention, in, in our general life, at pretty much any moment, any time, any activity, if you're not sure what needs attention, just the, the basic feel of body being here. That's the most helpful baseline. To point your attention back to just the hereness. So you can actually point to and then feel into what's happening. Very, very often when we do that we find, for example, that we're moving a little more quickly than we need to. And that that moving quickly is generating a certain stress and tension physically. 
and that that moving quickly is generating a sort of certain idea of being uh, usually some idea of busyness. Oh yes, I've got to. And oh yes, I'm going to. And oh yes, I am. And we find ourselves doing things very purposefully. Like even making tea. Right, we're going to make a cup of tea. Like as if it's a mission. A mission to accomplish. And when you've got a mission to accomplish, you focus to get to the end point. It's a shame because making a cup of tea can be a deeply relaxing process. Making a cup of tea can be a kind of participation in the whole of life. But not if you're busy making tea. So, Vitaka oh, just pointing us back to sensing what's happening in the body immediately gives us the opportunity to soften a little bit bodily, to slow down a little bit that inner momentum. And then we, ge- we kind of we strengthen the capacity to notice pitaka. And then the capacity to handle, to feel into experience. So then maybe in meditation, for example, but we're starting to give ourselves the opportunity to really get to know a particular mind state. Not because we're pursuing an insight not because we think something special should happen, but because this is the stuff of the moment. This is what's here. This is what wants, needs to be ah, handled, felt into, find out about. And that's where actual uh, understanding starts to come from. Starting to understand our own mind, understand our own habit. And then that same capacity in the rest of life, right? We see how easily we're reactive to what's happening. We're reactive to what we like. We're reactive to what we don't like. How different might it be if we were actually more interested in handling our experience? So then when something provokes us and we find that we're agitated, anxious, angry, indignant, self-righteous, etc. (laughs) What a a freedom to be interested in my reactivity. Instead of usually what I want to do, I just want to blame. That's what I most like to do with reactivity. Blame someone, usually Gail. (laughs) That's what relationships like. It'd be so much more comfortable if everything was her fault. She's not here this evening, so I can I can tell you all all of my troubles now. So Gail and I have lived together for a long time now, 20, 26 years. 
So we've had a lot of opportunity to handle, <laughs> to ha- handle our relationship. And, um, and it's good, that handling. Because right? generally, mostly, you know, when there's some, uh, s- when something gets provoked, right, we're, we're mostly more interested in handling, in feeling into, in finding out about the situation than we are in just, you know, making the other wrong. We've tried that for years, years. It's dull, it's repetitive, doesn't go anywhere, and makes the other unhappy and makes oneself unhappy. So one might consider, right? I'm sure you know the places of reactivity in your life, whether it's around relationship or whether it's around uh, your working life or whether it's difficulties with family members, etc., and I'm sure if you look at those places of reactivity, you can see, you know, the tendency to want to make it their fault, his fault, her fault, to blame. Or, some of us, we more just do it inwardly, oh no, it's my fault. It's actually the same thing. It doesn't matter whether the blame goes outwards or the blame goes inwards. Right? It's still, as soon as you've made someone wrong and as soon as you're just invested in, pers- in holding together the idea that she's wrong or he's wrong or they're wrong or I'm wrong you're not handling it right? you just come to some dead end cul-de-sac mm. And thus. So on the one hand, we, we, we're kind of developing this capacity, vitaka, vichara, to look into and to feel into, to notice and to handle. We're doing that in a, in a kind of simple way, right? with breath and body and the kind of feelings that just might arise in the day of being here together. And it's like we're training that capacity so as to bring it increasingly to any of our lives, all of our lives. And then there's this also this quality, viveka. So vitaka, pointing, vichara, handling, viveka. If we continue with the same image of the hands, if vitaka points to experience and vichara handles the experience, viveka is that which kind of opens one's arms to the experience, embraces experience, makes room for experience, allows experience. It's quite tricky when we talk about, uh, and I've already spoken some about giving space to, being spacious with, Sometimes we hear a lot in the language of meditation the sense of observing experience. Sometimes people will talk about watching the breath, for example. I try to avoid that kind of language. 
mind, watching or observing experience, usually because it actually gives, it seems to give an impression of doing something from a distance. Right? I'm just, I'm watching the breath. So, so my mind and my attention's up here, and breath's over there, and I'm watching it. Right? We easily can practice in that way. Observing experience from observing experience. Actually, we've already got a strong tendency to separate ourselves out from experience, right? To have a sense of being a subject, called the observer, looking at an object, called whatever, the breath in meditation, or called you, uh, if I'm talking to somebody, or called you know, the world, not there. And so our habit is actually to observe. Our habit is to look at. Our habit is to feel ourselves to be at a distance from. So what's the, if we, we're interested in, the way I often describe meditation is as intimacy with experience. Right? Knowing experience from the inside. Those are the kinds of language I try to use to avoid this sense of a kind of abstracted attention or a distant attention. So we want to come inside of experience. So the vitaka takes us in and the vichara keeps us there, feeling into and finding out about. So when we speak about then the vivek as this kind of wide open space, this kind of clear space that opens up, it's not the clear space of disassociation. It's not the clear space of pulling back from or stepping away from experience. Actually, it's more like when we really go into something, we find that the, the going in opens up. It's a bit like um, cells or atoms or something. You know, if you look at um, atoms, which are very, very small, right? and then if you look inside an atom, if you have a, a sufficiently powerful microscope to look inside an atom, it's ti- so tiny, atom, I don't know, how small is an atom? <laughs> very small, right? So small, it totally can't be seen. So small. When you go inside an atom, what do you find? A lot of space. I've always found that fascinating. Even I remember in um, uh, some kind of science lesson at school, we had these models of balls and sticks. Do you remember those? And the teacher would try to explain to us that there was a, what is it, electron? Is that inside an atom? And a neutron or proton or something going around? So you can tell I wasn't listening in the, cl- in the class. <laughs> but basically, that sense that it doesn't matter how small you go, right? and science was busy for a long time trying to find what we used to call the building blocks of something, matter. Right? The building blocks. What are the smallest possible particles of matter? As if there's some kind of dust that we'll find that the universe is, and all that dust is stuck together to make the universe. 
But actually, the smaller you go, the more space you find. Everything's made of space. And uh, if you calculate all that in uh, physics, apparently the whole match, the universe would fit in a matchbox or something like that if you took all the space out. And there's nothing left. I can tell I haven't thrilled you with my science <laughs> understanding. <laughs> but that sense of it's actually the willingness to go towards experience, to go into experience, that opens it up. And then we find that we ha- there is space. We don't need to make space. We don't need to pull back from. We don't need to get away from experience to know a spacious relationship with it. Come inside. Come inside what's happening. You know, even this body, we think of this body as sort of dense, as an object, as something that's about, you know, one meter something tall and about 60 centimeters wide, etc. But come inside. And actually the experience of body is infinite. It doesn't have edges. It doesn't have a center. Come inside and it opens up. And that's the case for all our experience. Come inside what's happening and it opens up. And when things open up, then we're really able to see clearly. That's the other part of the meaning of viveka, has that sense of a kind of clarity, discernment, the capacity to know what this is. Vitaka looks at what's happening, it's like the question, what is this? What is this? The vichara feels into what's happening. Like, it's like the question, oh, how is this? How is this? And through opening it up, through coming inside experience, we start to know unshakably, not, n- not as a, an idea, but it, with a clarity of vision, we start to know this. To know what this is, to know its nature, to know, um, well, actually all kinds of things. To know a quality of relationship with what's happening. To know a love for our capacity even to be in contact with. To know a certain fluidity with how we can navigate experience. So, whether you're in meditation, or whether you're having your lunch, or whether you're taking rest, 
whether you're here at the Mulan on retreat or whether you're at home or whether you're at your work. Vitaka, vichara, viveka. Meeting, exploring, allowing. Or otherwise, come inside where you are. Come inside what this is. Come inside whatever you're feeling so that it can open up. I was going to stop there, but it looks like you have a question. <laughs> well, what, what would make work s- separate from the rest of life? Well, my encouragement would be to see how you can make it intimate. At least, yeah. That may be the only intimacy that's possible, right? In some situations, when we say, oh, come inside, it's like, really? Right? Situations, work or others, might feel untrustworthy, right? In some ways. But the, the coming inside, our experience of that is always possible. Even if the experience may, de- may be defensive, the experience may be of not liking or not trusting, okay, come inside so you can feel into and find out about the not liking, the not trusting. Right. Maybe sometimes, that, like some of you have been speaking about today, that experience is painful. Sometimes experience feels overwhelming. Sometimes experience says, I can't deal with this, I have to push it away. And then old Martin says, oh, come inside, come inside. You say, I, ca- I can't come inside that. It feels like too much. Right? But the fact that you feel you have to push it away, okay, that's okay. If something feels frightening or overwhelming or too painful and you have to push it away, that's okay. Come inside the pushing away. Though you can, so that it's conscious so that you can feel, oh yeah, maybe this is the right thing to do. Maybe this is a skillful thing to do. And you might also find, I'm actually pushing a bit harder than I need to. So it's not to have an idealistic situation, to imagine something and say, well, how do I come inside of that? It's actually, it's to come inside where we are. And then we find that there is, there is no moment There is no situation, there is no activity that can't benefit from us being closer to ourselves, closer to experience. To point to whatever's actually happening. To feel into how we're meeting it. To open up some clarity and discernment. That's really why the whole essence, the whole heart of this practice is what this evening I've been calling coming inside, embodied awareness. At the beginning, 
it seems like it's so, the habit is so strong to go outside of our experience, right? Into our thoughts, into our plans, into our defenses, into our habits. But the idea of coming inside, it seems like hard work. It's like I have to pull up my attention and try to make it stay here. One breath, two breaths, three. Oh no, I can't manage. Right? Off again. But as we just keep engaging that process, what we start to notice is that actually that going off, which was our default mode, we find that that going off is fueled by tension. That inevitably, any moment when you notice that your attention's gone somewhere, if you feel, if you come inside, you'll notice there's some subtle or not so subtle tension that's driving that thought stream along and when you notice that that's what's happening all one needs to do is relax the tension you don't need to haul your mind back to some imaginary place called here When you relax the tension that's driving the thought stream, it collapses, it loses all its power. And then we see that we are here anyway. That intimacy is here anyway. That life is, that life's openness is available to us anyway. So, please come inside. There's plenty of room. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.